All right, we're ready to begin. If you'd like to come in and find a seat. Welcome back, everyone. My name is Alan Dice. I'm one of the pastors here. We are so glad you're here this morning. The advantage to being a person who is late in their 50s is you've got lots of memories and lots of stories that you can share when you're preaching sermons. So, um, as I was studying for this sermon, a memory came back to me from around 1973, which was long before lots of you were born here today. But this was uh, back when uh, our nation was experiencing gasoline shortages. I don't know if any of you remember gas shortages and, and waiting in line for gasoline. Some of you remember that, right? Waiting in line for gasoline and, and waiting for... Uh, uh, you know, because gasoline was in, was in short supply, and, and sometimes you couldn't get gas. And then they established a, a rationing system for gasoline where uh, it was like odd li license plates and even license plates, and you could only go to buy gasoline on a certain day, and if your license plate was a certain number, you, you couldn't go that day because it was the odd and even thing. And then uh, the, most, the most horrifying and shocking thing of all was, was the federal government established a, a national... Speed limit. It was 55. You know, and, and people were horrified, like, I have to restrict myself to driving 55 miles an hour. Um, and then uh, the, the uh, funniest part is that this uh, uh, rock band or, or pop band back, back in that time came out with a song that uh, was entitled, I Can't Drive 55. I don't know if you, any of you remember that. But there was this, uh, you know, it was a popular song. Sometimes you go on the oldie station, you can still hear, I can't drive 55. And you can, you can drive down the road singing along uh, to that song. So we're, this morning, I'll, I'll explain what that, what, what's relevant about that in a minute. Uh, this morning, we are finishing up our series called God's Unfolding Plan. This is, this is part three. And, and I wanted to ask you this morning, do you ever feel like life is going by so quickly and, and you need to wait, but you can't wait. Like, I'm impatient. I can't wait. Uh, I'm in a hurry. I can't wait. I can't drive 55. And I, I feel like sometimes our, our lives are, are going so quickly that sometimes when God calls us to stop, to wait, to pause, to wait to see what he has next for us, we don't have the time and we don't have the patience to wait for what God calls us to. There's a, there's a really interesting story from the Old Testament first before we get to the New Testament this morning from 1 Samuel chapter 13. This is the story of King Saul. Now, there are at least two really important guys by the name of Saul in the Bible, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. New Testament, of course, uh, his name was Saul, and he was, a, he was a Pharisee. He was a religious guy, and, and he opposed the Christians. He opposed the uh, Jesus, and, and he uh, persecuted the Christians, put them in jail until he had this uh, dramatic, tremendous encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus and realized that he'd been wrong all along, that Jesus really was the Son of God, he really was the Messiah. And he turned around completely, 180 degrees, and started preaching about Jesus. He went from persecuting the Christians to being 
the most important, prominent Christian that there was. And, and his name, he even changed his name. He goes from Saul to, to Paul, and he writes most of our New Testament. And, and he uh, uh, becomes this uh, powerful preacher for, for Jesus, goes to the Gentiles, starts churches, goes on missionary journeys. That's Saul who became Paul in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, there's another guy called Saul. He was King Saul. He was the Israelite. He was the first, first king of Israel. And his story isn't really very good. His, his life doesn't end up very well. And, and this, this um, story from 1 Samuel chapter 13 is, is the story of, of King Saul and his army going out to fight a battle. And, and they're fighting against their, their arch rival, the Philistines, who are, who are like always this thorn in the side of, of the Israelites. And, and uh, God had uh, clearly laid out to, to King Saul and his army that they were supposed to wait until the prophet Samuel came and gave God's strategy for the battle, okay? So they're supposed to wait. They're supposed to wait a week, seven days, and wait until the prophet Samuel came. And, and the story goes in, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, it says, Saul, he waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering around him. That means his army was leaving, basically. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings, and he offered the burnt offering. And as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him, and, and Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, When I saw the people were scattering from me and you didn't come within the days appointed, I offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. So what was the deal? He just had to you know, wait seven days. Why? God clearly had told Saul, you wait here. Don't fight this battle until you receive specific instructions from the prophet Samuel. It seems like God was asking Saul, Saul, do you really trust me? Saul, do you really trust me to fight this battle for you? Is it your army you have your trust in, or is it my power, the power of God, that's going to win this battle for you? And the story goes that Saul couldn't wait. He seems like he had valid excuses. I mean, if I see my army deserting me and I've got this big battle I've got to fight, well, that sort of makes sense, doesn't it? Samuel wasn't showing up, and Saul's army was deserting him. And, it, you know, if you want to win a war, you really ought to have an army. And, and you can't do it without an army. And, 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 and Saul had a, a lot of good, valid excuses, reasons. My point is sometimes God calls on us to wait. I don't know about you. I don't like to wait. I don't like to stand in line at a store. I don't like to stand in line at a grocery store. I, I want to go to the, the self-serve, the self-checkout right away and, and get it done and get out of there. I don't like to stand and wait. And most of us don't like to stand and wait, do we? But sometimes that's what God calls us to do. God called Saul to wait for God. Wait for God's word. Wait for God's strategy. Wait 
to hear what God had to say. Sometimes God calls us to just stop. Sometimes God calls us to just be still. Pause from rushing and scurrying like a hamster on a wheel. Stop running and pause and wait and stop. Find some quiet. Find some quiet time with God. Perhaps the reason we're not hearing God's voice like we want is because we're rushing too fast. Ooh. Maybe God is calling us to trust Him more than the circumstances we see with our own eyes. Is your army melting away this morning that you've got your trust in? Are your investments melting away because the stock market keeps going down and down and down? Waiting and watching to see God at work is part of the God story of redemption in the Bible. For hundreds of years, God had been promising something amazing, something special to his people. All throughout the Old Testament, time and time again, God was promising, from all the way from the Garden of Eden, God was promising that something was coming. Someone was coming. Someone special was coming. But, but they hadn't seen it happen yet. And they were waiting. And they were waiting. And years went by. And generations went by. And, and people were born and grew up and, and got old and died and another generation came and another and another and they still hadn't seen what God had promised. And still the Messiah had not shown up. Two people specifically in the Christmas story in the Bible, Luke chapter 2, were waiting. They were people who were patiently waiting. Luke chapter 2 and, and verse 25 says, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous, devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. That means he was waiting for Israel's help that God had promised. And the Holy Spirit was on him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. He would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So God had promised this guy that he wasn't going to die till he saw the Messiah. It's like, okay, I'm going to be really, really old, or the Messiah is coming really soon, either one or the other, okay? And... And uh, the Bible says, he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents, that's Joseph and Mary, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So like they're coming into the, the temple to, to go through the, the ceremonies when they, when they have a, a newborn child. And like the strange guy comes up to them and takes their babies. Like, hold on, that's our firstborn baby. Why is a stranger taking our baby? But they, I think they realized right away this was a, a guy that God had sent. This was a prophet. And, and he, he prophesied and blessed God because he had seen Jesus. Um, now he was actually able to, to die because, because he had fulfilled the promise of God. Simeon was the first guy who was waiting, waiting for Jesus. The second person is right after that, Luke 2, verse 36. Anna, the prophetess, was also there, a daughter of Phanuel, 
from the tribe of Asher. She was a very old woman. She'd been married seven years and a widow for 84. She never left the temple area, worshiping night and day with fasting and prayer. At the very uh, time Simeon was praying, she showed up. So there was two of them, Simeon and Anna, broke into an anthem of praise to God, and she talked about the child to all who were waiting expectantly for the freeing of Jerusalem. So two people were there waiting and waiting and waiting, years waiting and waiting for God's promise to be, to be revealed. So God's promises, God's prophecies, after that time of waiting, came to pass. When, when the fullness, the Bible says, when the fullness of time had come. Galatians 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. That means that, that God had a plan in mind for when Jesus was to come, and he was waiting, waiting for just the right time. Do you know that God's never early, and he's never late? God's timing is always just perfect. I don't know about you, but sometimes I've prayed for things, saying, boy, it'd be really good if God would just do this here right now. And then I look back later and say, Boy, it's really good God didn't do that thing right there, right uh, then, because, because it's much better that, that he had a better plan in mind than, than what I had in mind. So God's timing is always perfect. And we see this verse, when the fullness of time had come, and one writer suggests that, that why God sent Jesus when he did, the fullness of time, uh, there are at least five Five things that, that the writer suggests that, that God had in mind when he sent Jesus for the timing. Uh, number one was after the Israelites came to understand they couldn't keep God's law. They needed a Savior. They needed a better way. The law was not going to full, uh, work for them. Number two, there was peace in the known world. Number three, there was a common language across all the known world at that time, everyone was speaking Greek. And so there was a common language that, that most people could understand. Number four, people were spiritually hungry. And number five, there was a Roman, Roman culture and Roman organization. There were roads that made for an easy spread of Christianity. So these are some of the pieces, uh, perhaps, that, that were uh, things that, that brought that uh, scripture back to life. When the fullness of time. God was waiting for just the right time for God to send his son, Jesus. And people were waiting and praying and hoping and wishing for decades and generations and centuries all the way through. The Christian story, uh, Christmas story is the beautiful display of God's plan, God's details at work, and God's plan unfolding all the way through. The Christmas story uh, has details like the Messiah was going to be born in Bethlehem, but there was only a problem. The parents lived where? The parents lived in Nazareth, and, and the Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem. How was that going to work? Well, God worked it out, didn't he? He used Roman Empire taxes to send Mary and Joseph from Nazareth to, to Bethlehem. God used the Romans to, for that prophecy to be fulfilled. Uh, how would the baby Jesus escape being killed by King Herod? Because King Herod heard that Messiah was to be born in, in Bethlehem, and, and what does he do? He wants to stop it. He doesn't want competition. So he sends all his soldiers to Bethlehem and says, kill every boy baby that you can find. Kill them, wipe them out. And, and 
Joseph, Mary, and Jesus escape from Bethlehem when God sends an angel to warn them. And the couple, the Bible says, take their baby and flee to Egypt. And, and that trip to Egypt is, is another fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah. How would Jesus be born into the family of King David? That was another prophecy from the Old Testament about Jesus coming. He's going to be of the family of David. And if you read Matthew chapter 1, it traces back the family history of Jesus all the way back to uh, Abraham. So it, it starts out with Abraham, and it goes through all these uh, uh, sons all the way up through till it gets to King David, and then it, it goes up 28 generations from King David all the way up to Jesus. So King David was Jesus' grandpa with 27 greats in front of it. You know, great, 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 great. 27 greats. Uh, and that was King David, 27 great-grandpa of, of Jesus. So God's plan of redemption didn't stop with Jesus. And I want to I explain and, and go further here this morning and say that, that God's plan is still unfolding. And God's plan is still moving ahead. God's plan didn't just stop with Jesus. God has made even more promises about our future that have not yet come to pass. So what's, what's coming in the future and what does God have planned? You know, Jesus paved the way for, for us and he showed us what's going to happen. So, for example, one thing that's coming is that Jesus already experienced and that thing is called resurrection. And the Bible points to a time in the future when resurrection for dead people is coming. Acts 24 and verse 15, having a hope in God when these men themselves accept that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. John chapter 5, do not marvel at this for an hour is coming when all who are in their tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I've said sometimes at, at funeral services that you don't want to be standing in a graveyard when the resurrection happens because tombstones are going to go flying everywhere and people are going to be coming up out of the ground. It's going to be an amazing sight. And the Bible says that, that every, every dead person is going, to be, is going to be raised. Both those who've believed in Jesus and those who haven't, the righteous and the unrighteous. People will receive resurrection bodies, which will make our physical bodies look pretty pale and pretty puny and compared, to, compared to those resurrection bodies. So uh, one thing the Bible points forward to is resurrection. Resurrection is coming. We can look forward to that. Second point is that Jesus himself will return. Resurrection is going to happen. Jesus himself will return. Acts chapter, chapter 1 when he had, Jesus, when he had said these things, they were looking on, and he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven." The Bible promises and points forward to a time in the future when Jesus will come again, when Jesus will return. And, and like we had that 
scripture earlier that from Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. Just like that, Matthew 24 says that no one knows the day, no one knows the hour when Jesus is coming back. Not even the angels, not even uh, Jesus himself, not even the Son, Matthew 24 says, but only the Father in heaven knows when Jesus will return. So it's like, again, when the fullness of time has come. It's been, what, 2,000 years since Jesus was here. And we've been waiting, and we've had these promises. We've been waiting, we've been waiting. And the promises are still there. And, and God keeps saying, I'm going to send Jesus when the right time comes, when the fullness of time comes. And, and the Bible uh, actually has a name for uh, when Jesus returns. It's called the day. And it's like, uh, it's a day with a capital D. It's like one, one day that stands out above every other day in all of history. One, one day, the day of the Lord or, or the day. Acts, Acts 2.20, the day of the Lord comes. And look what Acts, uh, how the, Luke, the writer of Acts, describes the day of com- uh, the Lord comes. The great and magnificent day. Great and magnificent. In the last days I will pour out my spirit. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. They shall prophesy before the day of the Lord comes. The great and magnificent day. And it shall come that, to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So there is this one special day that's greater than any other day, a great and magnificent day coming for us and for the world. 1 Thessalonians 4. We who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The Bible promises not only that Jesus is coming back, but but even gives us details about how he's coming back. And not only that, but, but the Bible also promises that the curse of sin that, that's on us and on this whole world will be broken forever. The curse of, the, of sin that's on the universe will be completely broken forever. And, and the Old Testament prophets give a little indication of what, that, what the world will look like when the curse of sin is broken. This is really Interesting scripture. Listen to this. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion, and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. The weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy In all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as waters cover the sea. So the Bible says, when the curse of sin is removed, all creation is going to change. Wolves and sheep are going to live together in peace. And leopards and goats 
are going to live together. And children will lead formerly dangerous animals. And, and not only that, but, but animals that used to kill and eat each other are going to eat grass and straw and hay. Like, I never saw a lion eat hay before, but usually at, at the zoo, you feed them meat, right? Okay, but the Bible says that animals that used to kill each other are going to eat grass and they're going to eat hay and straw. Wow, this is wild stuff. When I was in Africa one time, we went on safari, and, and we were driving out across, and we, we saw some zebras in the distance. We got closer and closer, and, and it was very strange. There was a whole line of zebras. They, they were all lined up, uh, you know, uh, shoulder to shoulder, and they were all facing the same direction, and, and they were all just sort of sitting there, uh, standing there, uh, eating, and, but, but they were all facing the same direction. And, and we stood and we, we sat in the, in the Jeep and watched them for a while. And finally, some, someone asked, why are the zebras all lined up? And why are they all facing the same direction? And, and the guide said, well, it's very clear. Down there uh, in front of the zebras uh, where the lions are sleeping. And, and they don't want to uh, turn their backs on the lions. They want to keep watching the lions all the time so that, that when... Uh, the lions get hungry, they get a warning, and, and they can get out of there as soon as the lions get up and, and start uh, deciding that they want to chase one of them. Uh, so the Bible says, though, when, when the curse of sin is broken, the lions and zebras are going are gonna to live together in peace. You know, we, we call Jesus, and we, we hear uh, the Bible proclaiming that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. But that peace extends to even animals. That peace extends even to lions and zebras. Uh, you know, and, and as we, we drove from there uh, on uh, past the zebras and, and uh, you know, we, we were getting out of that area every now and then, we would see, you know, there was a, there was a, a zebra carcass, a zebra skin laying there in the, in the ground. And it's like, that was one that, that the lions got a hold of. And, and they didn't have to... Uh, um, uh, they had had lunch that day, you know. So uh, when the curse of sin is removed, all of creation is going to change. All of creation is going to be impacted. So what is the, you know, what will the future, what will the future hold? You know, we, lots of people uh, want to know that. And, and we look and see what, what God's word says about what's coming. And God's plan keeps unfolding. It doesn't stop with Christmas. It doesn't stop with Jesus uh, ministry. It doesn't stop with Jesus' death and, and uh, resurrection, but God's plan keeps on unfolding, and God's plan is unfolding here today in, in, in Pennsylvania, in, in the U.S., in, in our world today. God's plan keeps on, on unfolding. Uh, will there be trouble? Will there be disasters? Will there be hardships? Yeah, there will, because, because the curse of sin is still here. There'll still be wars. There'll still be hurricanes. There'll still be disasters. There'll still be hardships. But we as believers can know that there's this great and glorious future ahead. You know, Revelation 22. I'm not sure if I put that up there. Uh, there, I didn't. Revelation 22 says uh, about heaven and about us when we're in heaven in the presence of God that they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. There will be no light of lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. In heaven, there's no need for lights. There's no need for sun or moon. In fact, there's never any nighttime 
because God himself is the light, all the light that's needed, and we will reign forever and ever. That's what we have to look forward to. That's what's coming. It's a good future. Popular movies, popular media, popular books love to portray a future that's, the word is, the key word is dystopian. Um, that, that the future coming is going to be bad. The, the future that is coming is going to be horrible. Forty years ago, the great fears were what man was doing to the planet. And that, that's uh, still, uh, still around today. And, and we ought to take care of, of the earth we have. Uh, but 40 years ago, you know, books were being written that we would certainly run out soon. We would certainly run out of food and fuel and, and water. The, uh, the world could not possibly survive uh, and, and take care of billions of people who were being born. That was 40 years ago. And somehow, somehow, we've made it, haven't we? You know, uh, farmers uh, around the world have discovered that they can, they can grow uh, much more on their land than ever thought possible. And, and new uh, discoveries of, of fuel are, are being found all, all over the world. And, and uh, so, so we see that that fear of, of uh, you know, disaster, well, we're, not, we're not coming true, but there's still, there's still fear today. You watch, watch some popular movies that are on TV or, or coming out in the theaters, and, and you see fear of all kinds of things, fear of, of technology, right? So uh, watch the, the Terminator movies, okay? Uh, Skynet is taking over, you know? Uh, watch iRobot, you know? The, the evil... Uh, uh, a computer is, is taking over our world, and, 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 uh, and humans don't have a chance. You know, fear of man's depravity. Watch uh, the Hunger Games, and you realize that they're pointing forward to a horrible future that's coming. Uh, fear of nuclear war, fear of economy crashes, fear of global warming, fear of overpopulation, and, and on and on and on. You could probably add many more, and you could probably add... Uh, Things that, that you've seen uh, or experienced in our world that have pointed toward, toward fear in the future. But, but because we as Christians know that uh, God's good and great plan has been unfolding and it's still unfolding, we don't need to live in fear. Do you hear me? We don't need to live in fear, all right? We don't need to live in fear. I don't need to live in fear. Can we say that together? I don't need to live in fear. We can look forward with great hope. We can look forward with great anticipation. We can look forward with great expectation to what God has coming. And, and then the, the one scripture we just finished with was encourage each other. 1 Thessalonians 4, encourage each other with these words. So we can be, we can be the source. We can be the, the flow of hope and encouragement to people around us. So when you go to work tomorrow, when you, when you encounter students this week, when you... Uh, are, are uh, uh, having uh, Christmas parties or Christmas dinners with your relatives, you can be a source of hope. You can be a source of encouragement because the Bible says we should encourage each other with these words. Simply, my exhortation to you this morning is to get ready and to be ready, to be ready, to be ready. We don't know when that day with a capital D is coming. 
We don't know if that's going to be today. We don't know if that's going to be 100 years or 500 years or 1,000 years from now. But we do what we can to be ready. We obey, obey God. The Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so God invites you to come to him today. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, because of the blood of Jesus, he invites you. He's our good father. He's our good shepherd. And because of the blood Jesus shed uh, on the cross for the punishment of your sins and my sins, God invites you to come into relationship with him. I, I encourage you, don't ignore it. Don't neglect it. It's the greatest news that, that our world has ever, has ever received. Let's encourage each other with these words. Let's get ready. Let's be ready for what God has in, in his great plan that continues into the future. Would you stand with your, uh, to your feet with me this morning? Lord, I pray for each of us this morning as we uh, hear the story of your good and great plan unfolding into the future. Lord, as we, as we remember again, you promised that Jesus is coming, that resurrection is coming, that a great day of the Lord is coming. And Lord, I, I just pray for each of us this morning, first of all, that each of us would be ready, that we would be uh, there uh, in, in that place of having faith in Jesus for our salvation, for the forgiveness of our sins. And, and, and if there is someone here who just isn't sure that they've uh, made that step of having faith in Jesus this morning, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they'd uh, come uh, forward to have someone pray with them and, and just to make sure that they are ready. Lord, I pray that we would, you would fill us with your spirit this week, that we would be sources of hope and encouragement and life to those around us who, who are living in fear. Lord, I, I pray this morning that you would, you would bless this church and we commission this church to go as missionaries into our communities, workplaces, schools this week. Lord, I, I pray that we would take the word of God, we would take hope, we would take encouragement, we would take blessing, we would, we would take the call of Jesus, and we would go and, and uh, draw people closer to God, draw people closer to Jesus this week in, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We'd like to be here to, to pray with you this morning. I'd like to invite our, our prayer ministers to come. And we're going to be here to, to pray with you. There uh, is also, uh, I think, choir practice right here at the front um, this morning as well for, for next Sunday's service. Uh, it's going to be a really fantastic service next Sunday. We have kids pageant. We have choir. We have bells. We have all kinds of special things. So you don't want to miss next Sunday. I really encourage you to to be here next Sunday. And uh, there's also uh, children's practice today. So don't forget all the things that, uh, that are happening today. I think the choir needs uh, a, a bit of space up here and, and probably a bit of space in the auditorium. So maybe you want to give them some, some room here. Um, but if, if uh, prayer ministers are, are here to come, maybe you want to stay at, stay at the sides and give, uh, give the choir some room here this morning. So thank you, Lord. Lord, I bless this church as we go from here today. Lord, I thank you that your power, your presence, your Holy Spirit fills us. And, and uh, Lord, we are not alone, but we are, we are, uh, we are your ch children. We are your sons and daughters. And you promised never to leave us, never to forsake us. So, Lord, I pray that as you fill us, we would go and, and accomplish what you call us to. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Come forward for prayer. We'd love to pray with you this morning.